T.C. Boyle outside looking in, and we have T.C. Boyle himself. How are you this morning? I'm still alive, Michael. It's a great miracle. <laughs> <laughs> to what do we owe the miracle, do you think? Or would you... The benevolence of the universe, because, you know, I'm not quite as youthful as when we first began to have these discussions. That's funny, because I am. <laughs> really? Talk well, about I'm sorry that I'm not there to uh, examine that for its <laughs> truth in person. Yeah. I'll have to take your word for it, though, over the telephone. So are you saying this little, the picture of you on the book uh, insert here is, is not accurate? Oh, I've been mummified for many, many years. <laughs> <laughs> Were you ever part of the, a psychedelic movement of any sort? Well, I was a hippie, Michael. I will yeah. confess to that. Yes. Uh, and um, as a result... Um, I ingested many, many sorts of substances yes. that were available from some guy selling them on the street corner. Okay, so it wasn't a spiritual quest, necessarily. No, it was a quest to get as high as possible. <laughs> okay, is that what drew you to the old Timothy Leary Harvard uh, LSD use story? To a degree, my dear fellow. Don't forget, we talked about Drop City, my book from... Yes. 2003, which is about the height of the hippie movement mm -hmm. in the late 60s, which I knew quite intimately. And so now I've gone back to find out where it all came from, really before my time, in the very early 60s, when Timothy Leary wasn't this buffoon in a, in a robe chanting on TV, but was this uh, quite incredibly brilliant Harvard psychologist. Yeah, and doing, and doing quite well at that moment. And I went back a little too and looked at his background. It just made me curious. And, and he was, uh, it shows you what, what can happen to a West Point uh, kid, you know, if he goes bad. His, his biography is quite fascinating, actually. Yeah. Uh, I could have written a thousand-page novel about him. But, of course, as with some of my other historical novels, this isn't about the figure himself, but about the subsidiary figures. So I've created a couple, Fitzhugh Loney and his wife, Joni, who are grad students, or Fitz is a grad student of this dynamic, charismatic professor. Unfortunately, this professor, uh, in order to be accepted in his inner circle, insists that you must ingest the sacrament, which is LSD. Right. And it's a sacrament. And, and by the way, Michael, I should say that uh, I did all of this in my youth, then I grew up, and I was about 25, and I went to the University of Iowa to the Writer's Workshop and also to get my Ph.D. And my mentor there, Frederick P.W. McDowell, uh, didn't want me to do anything except love literature and study hard. Uh, and I wondered, what if my mentor had been someone who wanted me to get out of my mind on drugs instead? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, psychologists on drugs is a very scary thought. Oh, yeah. And uh, let's not forget that uh, LSD has now come back into medical and psychiatric use, uh, which was its first incarnation in the, in the 50s. And it was only available through, uh, uh, through psychologists when they had you on the couch and they were overseeing your trip. Yeah. So it was Drop City at, at Harvard, basically, because you could use it was legal. You could use yes, it was legal just... until 1966, and yep. uh, it's also quite fascinating to see how uh, people could fall under the spell of, of, of Leary and Alpert, these charismatic professors, and not really question what they were doing, because I may have known by the late 60s of um, what 
ingestion of drugs can lead to uh, the kind of uh, lifestyle and habits that develop. But I think they were all rather innocent at that time. Yeah. Well, they were looking for, you know, it was, it was sort of a, a, the sacrament, as you said. And they're, sort of disappointingly, they're looking to, to meet God. Yes. Well, this is another thing that fascinates me yes. ab- uh, about this. These drugs, psychedelic drugs, are known as entheogens. That is, they allow you to see or experience God. Mm-hmm. And uh, theoretically, this happens because the drug disables your editing mind, the mind that allows us to go through life without being schizophrenics, because all of these sense impressions are coming into us at all times. Mm-hmm. And so you shut down the ego, and presumably, never happened to me, by the way, uh, you then can feel at one with the universe, and perhaps that is an experience of God. So you, but, you, you know, the further, further, though, <laughs> so then, if that is true, then what about the Bible and the Quran and uh, the Judaic texts? Uh, that is the Bible. Is God sorry. simply a miswiring of, yeah. of the brain? Uh, what is it about this little fungus, uh, you know, from which LSD is synthesized, that can allow us to conceive of God? Are you asking me? Do you want an answer? Yeah, I'm, no, I want a definitive answer, and I want pictures, too. Short answer is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, you know, this is a case, you know, you, you, your aunt, Fitz is your aunt, anti-hero, really, and which is also very popular in the 60s, right? There's the guy is a hero who's really not a hero, and he's... he's Totally fallible, and, and things, you know, he tries to, he's trying to see God, and he ends up being just a, another uh, drug-induced uh, derelict, basically. Well, come on now, I wouldn't be that harsh on him, yes. and as far as antiheroes are concerned, uh, yes, uh, the heroes presented to us, let's say, in the uh, Hollywood movies, they are exclusively good, and the bad guys are exclusively bad, but... You know, aside from a couple of people like you and me, uh, most people are a mixture. We're exclusively good. So it's always interesting for me to try to inhabit a character who takes the wrong path, uh, ethically, and in this case, chemically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're both they're interesting. So, but really, it's like how do, uh, family life on psychedelics is what it becomes. Yeah, yes. Uh, you know, and of course, in... I'm only following Leary up till 64, but uh, all the facts are true. He did have one of his acolytes give him, for $1 a year, this incredible 64-room mansion (laughs) in Millbrook, New York, in order to conduct his experiments. And he brought his grad students and their children and his whole retinue and hangers-on and so on to live there for several years. And it is true, too, that the children were given LSD regularly, because it was a sacrament, and because they, the adults firmly believe that this would improve the children mentally mm-hmm. and uh, spiritually. Right, right. So you're saying it's no different than any other religion? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that's my next book. But, but uh, <laughs> at the time, I didn't really, in the late 60s, I had never even seen a child, and uh, I had no idea about uh, <laughs> the ethics of giving drugs to children and so on. Now I have had children of my own, and I can reflect on it. And I wonder if this was the best thing they could have done for their children. Yeah, it's, it's, a, good, it's a good question to ask. I don't know if we can answer it. <laughs> Are you I'm kidding sure you me? have many physicians in the audience yes. who 
are going to raise their hands and give us the answer any moment now. Now, I know this this book in Europe was came out as The Light, right? Yes, this was my second title, The Light, because yeah. the light is what you see, supposedly, at, at death, but you also see this light, and then the second light that the Buddhists talk about mm-hmm. when you're taking LSD, presumably, again, uh, it never happened to me. Right. Um, so the Germans didn't like the title Outside Looking In, because I guess they'd never heard the moody blues <laughs> because they didn't like the way it would translate and so i suggested yeah. uh my second title the light so it's das licht in germany yeah they didn't care for eine kleine mach music or however it came out no and we could have done that too yeah. uh and the french are now translating it and i believe they will go with la lumiere and that's yeah. okay that's okay by me good it's more it's more is it more is the light though isn't it or do you think not because that wasn't your first choice because they're looking for this light the first light, and then the second light, and then bingo, it works. Yes, it's true. It is true, and it, it is a good title. Uh, but ultimately, I rejected it in favor of outside looking in uh, because of the Timothy Leary reference and the Moody Blues. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Timothy Leary's dead. Yeah. No, no, he's outside looking in. Okay. You know, come on, everybody that was knows very that. good, actually. I think that's good. And of also, you know, it, 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 it further... Uh, the idea of this drug is to be outside your body. Um, it's an experience that uh, I suppose those drugs gave me in that period, uh, but only briefly and in connection with many miseries as well. Today, I get outside my body by doing my work, by getting into the spell of what the work is, and also by being alone in nature. As you know, we've talked over the years, uh, I go up to the Sierras in the Sequoia National Forest for many months of the year, and uh, when I walk outside the door and into the woods, there's nobody there. And I spend hours, I don't know if I'm meditating exactly, I think I'm, just wandering uh, like a child. Yeah, flashbacks maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. It could be. But I'm not seeing any colors except what they're represented there before me. You know, yeah. green leaves, brown dirt, that sort of thing. So one of the things you have to love about this book is the the take on psychologists in general and psychological studies because they did these study they did a prison study. Mm-hmm. And then they did a, a study with uh, divinity students. And that's a beauty. Yes, this is the Marsh Chapel miracle in which uh, using psilocybin, which is derived from the magic mushrooms, uh, uh, Leary and his students conducted an experiment with a group of divinity students, half getting a placebo, half getting the actual drug. And, uh, you know, I'm a novelist, of course, and I enjoy um, <laughs> the oddities rather than what just is, uh, is, is normal and calm. And one of these uh, young men went floridly berserk in Marsh Chapel during the Easter Sunday service. Again, the idea was to see, uh, could this drug uh, take the divinity student and give this student uh, a, a special insight, a special spiritual insight? And one guy... Uh, took out his dental retainer and threw it at the picture of uh, the statue of Christ uh, and then burst through the door and ran out of the street and had to be restrained. The, the lecture that day was uh, by a very, very powerful preacher who had been a, an associate of Martin Luther King and had those deep, oratund, uh tones, and he kept 
talking about Easter, and there is a man on the cross. The man on the cross has come to redeem your sins. There's a man on the cross. So this student got that in his idea, that, that, that in his head, this idea, and he ran out on the street and began to tell people there's a man on the cross. And, of course, he had to be restrained and uh, brought down with a shot of Thorazine. Ah, yes. True story. Nothing and, like, uh, you know, I enjoyed telling it from the point of view of my character, yes. Fitzhugh Loney. And nothing like a literal uh, divinity student, you know. I mean, how literal <laughs> yeah, you can know, you get? Michael, you know, we're, we're tiptoeing around uh, the essence of this book, which yes. is sex. Yes. And uh, Leary oh, okay. talked often about how sex was heightened uh, on this drug. Oh. Now, everybody hasn't had this experience, but uh, oh. there it is. And so oh. in the course of this, I felt that I would like to explore that. Yeah. There's certainly a lot of it in the book. Mm-hmm. And my wife helped me with the research, too. <laughs> More power to her, I say. So, uh, <laughs> oh, she's earned her wages over the year, that poor yeah. woman. She has to listen to me, first of all. Yeah. And so there is this uh, sexual experimentation that goes on, because it's supposed to be not only mine expanding, but in other regions as well, right? Apparently so, and yes. and again, they began to form communal living arrangements uh, in Cambridge when Leary and Alpert were still at Harvard. Then they took it, as I said earlier, to Millbrook, where um, it was a, a large-scale experiment in communal li- living, you know, dogs, cats, wives, husbands, children, the whole works. Uh, and it is a sort of prelude to what happened a few years later more widely in society with communal living and the hippie movement. Yeah. And so it, start, it starts off, really, is it's it, at least the guise is that this is uh, human growth here. Use a psychological term. This is a growth experience, and um, it's a spiritual quest as well. But it really turns out to be just like Ken Kesey and the guys on the West Coast. It just means it's a free-for-all. Uh, of sex and, and and do whatever you want to do and just really get into it, and this drug will help. Right, and who can argue with that? I mean, it sounds <laughs> great to me. And in fact, there was the famous meeting between the pranksters and the pranksters. Leary at Millbrook. Yeah. Uh, some claim that they never met face-to-face, but nonetheless, uh, the pranksters came to Millbrook thinking they would find kindred spirits when, in fact, uh, Leary's acolytes and Leary himself were more restrained and more uh, inner-seeking and so on, uh, and the two groups never really saw eye-to-eye. No. So, and, and then, uh, by the way, I do have uh, a section of the book in which I reference that. Yeah, and Fitz is perhaps the one most disappointed by the convergence of the two, because he believes that one is spiritual and one is just debauchery. Exactly. And, and Fitz... Uh, was raised as a Catholic until he rejected the Church, and so he is superstitious in his soul, and uh, he does want to see God quite desperately, even though he denies the existence of God, and he has this uh, this fight with himself back and forth right till the final line of the book. Mm-hmm. So it's the desire to see a non-existent God. That's sort of modern, modern man <laughs> in a nutshell. And they can come into him or her or it come into existence. Yeah. You know, also the book begins with a set piece, a prelude, um, which talks about Bicycle Day, April 19th, still celebrated by heads worldwide, commemorating the first acid trip in history. <laughs> this was taken by uh, 
Lambert Hoffman, the chemist at Sandoz Laboratories in Basel, who first synthesized the drug from the fungus that grows on, on wheat, uh, the ergot fungus. And I've always loved this story because it's kind of, to me, it feels like a folktale. Mm-hmm. So here is the scenario. You have this straight-laced chemist, and he has a suspicion that this drug might have properties that could be sellable for his company. Uh, and, and, and strictly, by the way, as a, uh, uh, an aid for women after having given childbirth, mm-hmm. without any, no one knew that there were psychedelic properties. And so he dosed himself at the lab one day and had to then get home on his bicycle <laughs> Ten clicks to Bergmingen, where he lived. And his assistant was a 19-year-old girl uh, who was the only female working at Sandoz and the only person in the world who knew that her boss had just poisoned himself, for all she knew. And he went floridly berserk, and she had to get him home on his bicycle. So that's how the book opens, to let you know where this drug came from. And um, we then go to... Harvard, uh, Leary, and also his summer camps yeah. in Cihuatanejo in Mexico. Right, right. Um, were you tempted to go with Herr Hoffman as, as the story? It's pretty, I mean, it's just not as cool as a Timothy Leary circus. My interest in Herr Hoffman was essentially in what we've just described mm-hmm. in his synthesizing this, experimenting with it on himself, yeah. and the result of that. And I think that as a prelude leads us into then Leary's experimentations, and by the end of the book, what will open up into what I explored in Drop City, that is this cultural phenomenon of the 60s. I wonder, too, if Hoffman had never synthesized LSD, how that would have affected the 60s. I mean, would Jimi Hendrix's album have been called Are You Experienced? Would he have been wearing those those great jackets with the bleeding eyeballs on them? Um, <laughs> it would have been a very different, different time, I think, without Hoffman's discovery. Yes. Carnaby Street would have looked different, that's for sure. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, we did have, they, they were the magic mushrooms, though, and I'm sure uh, my generation would have found a way around the absence of LSD, or perhaps someone else would have synthesized it. Yeah. To go back to Leary himself now, uh, he had written a paper or whatever on, it was like, it was like transactional analysis, which became transactional analysis, very, very well respected, and it was, it was about interpersonal relationships, right? Exactly. He said that uh, the old Freudian method uh, didn't work. It was uh, it was too hieratic, and uh, that the the psychologist sat above the patient and uh, and operated on him in some way. Leary described it as you know sitting down with a friend and, uh, and having a beer and uh, and just talking. Um, and so the use of psilocybin was. Uh, a natural for him. Uh, it's a way of disarming the defense mechanisms of the patient. He said, after his first trip on magic mushrooms in, in Mexico, he said that he learned more in the six hours of that trip than in 15 years as a psychologist. So he was definitely uh, a devotee 
of, of this new miracle drug, these psychedelic drugs. Uh, um, and yet, uh, because he had an addictive personality and was also alcoholic, uh, he lost track of what he was doing and what this was all about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Alan Watts, who was a colleague of his in those days, and an early user of LSD, said that once you get the message, that is, of opening up to the universe, well, you hang up the phone. Mm-hmm. You don't need to keep doing it over and over. Um, as we know, these drugs are not um, physically addictive, mm-hmm. but certainly the evidence shows from Leary and, and his coterie that uh, perhaps they were psychologically addictive. Yeah. And Alan Watts, of course, had Zen and became a Zen master. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, of course, all this is very much allied. We're coming out of the beat era, uh, and the interest in, in Zen and meditation uh, and Eastern practices. And this drug is a sort of instant way of of getting there. Yeah. And of this group, the inner circle, so-called, Dick Alpert became Ram Dass, so he was successful mm-hmm. in transferring it to a, a slightly different arena. Yeah, you know, I'm, yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah, but Michael, you know, I don't, I don't set out to make fun of these guys. Uh, although, of course, there's an element of that in everything I do. Uh, I'm just exploring something. I don't know where the book will go or what it will be. I'm just kind of fascinated by that history, and uh, then set it in motion in a dramatic way to see what it might have been like to have been an acolyte. Uh, of Leary. Is it a cautionary tale? Well, I don't know. You have to uh, make that judgment for yourself. Mm-hmm. Leary, you know, became like the psychedelic Hugh Hefner, but mm-hmm. at least Ram yeah. Dass made an effort to, because I actually saw him speak one time here in Madison, Ram Dass. Mm-hmm. And we had to sit cross-legged, and it was pretty good, you know. It was like a Zen, a Buddhist sort of thing. Well, you've got to be into something. You have to try to address the mystery of the world in some way. Uh, There seems to be in our species this great burden of consciousness, which is why we have drugs and booze and uh, speedboats and all the rest of it. Uh, We need to get out of our minds somehow, uh, whichever way you choose. It it seems to be something that's... uh, Unavoidable in our species. Yeah, but in, in like in Fitz, Fitz's pursuit, he has just a midlife crisis on acid. You know, I mean that that's sort of what happened. All these things, all his taking up with this young woman and, and abandoning his family and all that stuff. It's like a horrendous. It's an acid-induced midlife crisis. So it's not really a spiritual quest at all, as, as it turns out. Well, again, uh, I wouldn't want to interpret this for all of the readers out no. there, but. Uh, I like your line of reasoning. Uh, <laughs> no matter what cult you fall into or, or, or what your drug of choice is, nonetheless, you still have to live your life. And perhaps, in this case, it was complicated. So what you're referring to is another thing that they did at Millbrook. They, they conducted several experiments in communal living, and one was this. Uh, they would, uh, once a week, pick two names out of a hat of the, you know, 40 people who were there, adults, not the children. And those two, male or female, male and male, female, female, it didn't matter, whatever it came out, they would go to the meditation house for a week. People
people would deliver them meals, and they would do whatever they wanted out there, which presumably was to go deeper and deeper and take larger doses of LSD in order to see if they could make a breakthrough, to see, is there any limit to this? And in the course of this, in my telling, Fitz and a young girl who's a hanger-on there mm-hmm. uh, named Lori uh, uh, are chosen randomly. And um, here's where the sexual element comes in that Leary crowed about. Uh, they're out there, they're tripping together, and so they fall into uh, a relationship which, after this week is over, becomes a kind of obsession for Fitz, whereas Lori has other fish to fry. She certainly does, and other monkeys to play with. <laughs> yeah, well, of course, there is a monkey in it. There's a monkey involved. Uh, we should tell readers that involved. in advance. Uh, and Maynard Ferguson, uh, the jazz yes. player, was uh, a devotee, and he also, for some time, lived with his wife and children at Millbrook. And his wife had a pet monkey, and so the monkey appears yeah. as well yes. in this book. Uh, and monkeys and spirituality are well documented. Well, I don't know about that, but um, this particular monkey uh, has access to a pharmacopoeia that most monkeys, at least those in the wild, don't have access to. And, uh, well, I don't want to give much away. No, no, don't. I don't want to disappoint all my monkey readers out there, but, you know, the monkey has his own adventure. Yeah, say no more. Mm-hmm. And this thing, it's a mistake that all communes make, isn't it? Is that uh, opening up everything to everything? Yeah, uh, of course, when I wrote Drop City, which is about a commune which mm-hmm. translocates to Alaska, the final frontier, I was drawing on my experiences in my early 20s. Mm-hmm. It seemed like we all just thought it was a great idea to all get together and get in a big house and share the rent and have a nonstop party and... Uh, wonderful interrelations. And okay, that was fine for a while. But now, you know, I'd, I'd rather be in a prison cell in Pelican Bay Prison than solitary confinement than have to live like that again. It's just there's too many egos involved. There's yes, It's just a little too difficult. I mean, look at the great collectivization of the... Uh, of the farms in Russia, does it work out? Does it does it work yeah. out to uh, to live communally? Who's in charge? Uh, mm-hmm. Who takes out the garbage? You know, I mean, it, it's it's very complicated. Yeah, it's complicated, and uh, certainly the acid doesn't really help that sort out those things. <laughs> well, it 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 makes them less relevant. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I I do in the book I. I I don't know if I love this thing about the assassination of JFK, but when when JFK was assassinated, there was, obviously everyone was just horrified and astounded because mm-hmm. uh, Aldous Huxley had died on the same day. Correct. Yeah. So I thought that was I, a magic I, I moment I dramatize that in the book. However, Michael, I am flashing on this element of the communal living and the garbage. So yes, I lived in a house with some people <laughs> in New York uh, where I grew up, uh, north of the city in, in Westchester County. And uh, we were young, we were wild, we were doing all the drugs, we were having a great time in life. And the house had a long drive, I would say 200-yard drive. It's just an old, funky old house, but, you know, it was home for us. And that was a problem, that long drive, because of the garbage. 
We created garbage. I mean, we're living in American society. We have to eat. We have garbage. What are we going to do with it? Well, we could walk it all the way out to the street where the garbage cans were. But that was a problem. Meanwhile, halfway there, my friend's car had broken down, and it was just lying there. So we began to put the garbage in the car. And finally, when we moved out of the house, we had the car towed to the junkyard. Problem solved. Yes. Okay, that's the end of it there. That's, that's, that's the <laughs> innovation that you came up with. In your, you know. Yes, that's right. Yes. And I, I don't know whether acid inspired that or not, but yeah. certainly uh, uh, the lifestyle, yeah. uh, which, which, which was predicated upon going from one person to another to find whatever drugs are available and to spend as much time as possible mm-hmm. outside being stoned or sitting in front of the fireplace in winter being stoned. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's a little bit odd because now these are all psychologists here, so they obviously are familiar with human behavior, and there, there's so much here that disregards or aggravates or complicates human behavior. Well, I wouldn't necessarily want to criticize psychologists as a class. <laughs> uh, I don't really know. Um, I've never studied psychology except in connection with what I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my brain remains fairly clear. Uh, and by the way, I did not take acid uh, mm-hmm. in order to remember it for this book because that brain may be clear, but it's hanging on by a thin thread, <laughs> and I don't want to risk that. Um, I'm getting off on literature. That's what gets me high. I don't quite need that anymore. Although I will say that uh, a nice red wine sure helps of an evening. Yes. But, you know, I just, in thinking of what Harvard must have been like otherwise in those days, B.F. Skinner, you know, uh, pigeons pecking and that sort of thing. In fact, Mm -hmm. Fitz was going to do his his paper or his master's or his thesis on uh, he was going to do it on this whole, all these experiments, and then they got, all got thrown out. And they said, "Well, he's going to go back and do a B.F. Skinner paper." You know, but she never finished. Right. Well, Skinner represented the old guard, the behaviorists, yes. and uh, and uh, Leary and his coterie uh, were the new guard. They yeah. felt that uh, this was just rat science, and they wanted to explore the human brain instead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess we could say they were both wrong in their own way. (laughs) I suppose so. But again, you know, the first and last sentences of the book reference God. Right. And so... I love the last sentence of the book, and I'm afraid we can't really do it because they won't buy (laughs) the book. I mean, I could. It's a podcast, but I just don't want to tip it off at the end because it summarizes things. Uh, It's about our... Just what you're saying. Both of them were wrong. Or it doesn't matter whether they're wrong or they're right. We don't know what we're doing on this mysterious planet. We want meaning, but there is no meaning. And uh, we talked earlier about this burden of consciousness. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's imposed on us from the time we uh, become aware of things. Death, for instance, when we're I don't know, 10, 12, whatever it is. And we can never recover that again. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of Wordsworth's great poems, like the Intimations uh, uh, Ode, uh, uh, talk about the, the joy of just 
pure animal existence before we have this burden of consciousness imposed upon us. And uh, I, I'm always seeking that, it's, it, and I find it in nature uh, as, as much as I can, of course. Nonetheless, I'm totally depressed about the fact that um, my discovery uh, of life as I uh, age and become extremely wise is that everything always gets worse. Yeah, seems that way. <laughs> I don't know if there's a school of thought for that. Well, I think, I think it's it. called pessimism. Yeah, all change is bad is what I feel. I, 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 speaking of that, those po- intonations, so that, the character Laurie, little paramour of yeah. Fitz, is always spouting off these, always quoting these poems and these quotes of that sort. She's quoting Emily Dickinson yeah. uh, and Sylvia Plath as teenage girls uh, yeah, or wants to do. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she uses the poems as a way of avoiding having to talk directly about uh, issues that uh, yeah. that might be too emotional or too sticky in any given situation. Oh. Yeah, she's kind of an interesting character, but they all are. Well, I don't well, want to take any more of your morning, Tom. Well, thanks, because, of course, Michael, you know I'm already well into the next book, and I oh. must get to work fairly oh, soon. I'm I mean, it's, you know, I know it's very late out there in Madison. You'll all be pouring your cocktails soon. But here, it's, you know, it's yeah. just the beginning of the day for us. Yeah, and this is probably your writing time. It is. It's oh, coming up. I'm, it is coming really up sorry. very shortly. We could have just taped it at, a, at you know, at midnight. <laughs> well, that's my sleeping time. <laughs> no, this is just fine, my dear fellow. No, no worries. Oh, thank you very much. D.C. Boyle, you new one, outside looking in. Thanks very much, Tom. Talk to you soon.